Just a reminder that Stats and Stories is running its data visualization contest to celebrate its 300th episode. You can grab data about the show to analyze and submit your entry at statsandstories.net slash contest. Your entry has to be there by June 30th. The news landscape is continually in flux as new media technologies are developed and audience needs shift. This mix of new tech and new needs has highlighted the importance of ensuring audiences understand quantitative information. A research partnership between Knowledge and PBS NewsHour is studying how people consume news and numbers. That's the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. Our guests today are Knowledge's Jenna Barkas Lichtenstein and NewsHour's Laura Santhanum. Barkas Lichtenstein is a linguistic anthropologist who leads the media research at Knowledge. They're also associate editor of Public Anthropologies at American Anthropologist. They lead Knowledge's participatory collaborations with news organizations, including PBS NewsHour. Santhanum is the health reporter and coordinating producer for polling for the PBS NewsHour, where she's also worked as the data producer. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Could you just explain how this partnership started? I have been in my current role since 2017, and the partnership predates me. So I want to say it dates back to about 2014. 14 or so, maybe 2013, not 100% sure. <laughs> Johnny Fraser, who is Knowledge's founding CEO, and Patty Person, managing producer for the News Hour, met at a conference and were very taken with one another's ideas. And in some sense, the rest is history. I think we have about 12 grants collaboratively between the two organizations at this point. Uh, over those those last ten or so years. Wow, that's that's quite a success story. That's a <laughs> so so when they were ta- you said taken with each other's stories and their perspectives. Can can you maybe may, give each in turn maybe talk a little bit about what NewsHour's story and perspective was and Knowledge's story and perspective and and why was that this natural pairing? Sure, I, I'll, I'll uh, jump in there. Um, you know, I, I mean, I feel like uh, the PBS NewsHour, um, you know, really values, and we feel our audience also values just the, the 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 power of context, right? Like, you know, very few things in life, in the world, and just in general, happen just out of the blue, right? There's always a lead up, um, just sort of a natural arc of of a story, an event you know, a discovery, right? And so, you know, we really like to connect the dots but in our reporting and, and, and you know, our audience, you know, seems to appreciate that as well. And so, you know, and, and yeah, I feel like that definitely holds true when we're thinking about numbers, right? Well, whether, we're, whether we're talking about climate change and, you know, X degrees equals like absolute doom, uh, you know, in, in temperature rising, or, or you know, or, or if we're talking about, you know, um, say the last few years where it's been kind of weird and there has been a, a coronavirus pandemic, you know, numbers 
absolutely have played a critical role, both in terms of just how we're planning for the future, but also how we're, you know, thinking about living our day-to-day lives, right? You know, thinking about numbers on so many levels. So, you know, I feel like that really was sort of the impetus for the work that we've been doing most recently together uh, with this latest project. Zooming out a little bit, Knowledgy is a nonprofit research institute whose mission is practical social science for a better world. What that means is we do nearly all of our work in close partnership with practitioners of various types. As Rosemary mentioned, I lead our media research, so I collaborate with news organizations. And from our perspective, everyone at NewsHour at every level is so committed to the idea that news is a public service to inform and educate people. And I think a lot of the common vision starts there because they're in it to help adults understand the world. And we had been talking for a really long time from a prior grant that was looking at science among young adults and particularly young adults who were not currently in school, right? So people who are starting to form those adult information habits and figure out what their informational needs were when they weren't in formal education anymore. And we had a lot of conversations about math and numbers and statistics as underpinning all of the fields of STEM and being a real weak point uh, in terms of both comprehension and reporting. And so our current uh, National Science Foundation funded project really was looking at numbers across a broad set of coverage areas, looking at what the public can and can't draw from them. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it comes back to what Laura was saying about context being the thing that's most often missing. So I wonder if you guys could explain how exactly are you studying how quantitative information is communicated and received? It seems like so much with media um, research and this, you know, I can be guilty of this as well as a media researcher is that we end up being very focused on the content and don't always get access to the audiences. And I wonder, given that you're look, looking at issues around quantitative literacy, like how are you studying audience reception and what have you found so far? We've done a bunch of different activities with with publics. So we have done several large scale surveys, primarily using Prolific, which is an online panel provider. We've done a fair amount of experimental testing. So we'll have, say, three groups of 80 people, each of whom sees a slightly different version and looking at the inferences they draw, also looking at their confidence in how much they know. And then we've also done a fair number of focus groups and discussions. And for those in particular, we've really primarily worked with news hour audiences specifically rather than general US public. The way we did the recruitment was through in most cases, news hours, social media, newsletters, Twitter account, you name it. Uh, so putting out the call directly from the news hour and saying, hey, do you like our stuff? Will you give us a little bit of access to how you think about it? Totally. And, and, and it's been, it, I feel like, just a fruitful partnership in those respects. And it's, it's really sort of invited a kind of like experimentation in real time, right? Like, you know, we'll, whether we're looking at, you know, we, we presented this bar chart in this way uh, with th- this color scheme, uh, but, you know, and, and then hearing from the focus groups and hearing from members of the public, you know, how are they then interpreting the data? Are we, you know, sticking the landing on, uh, on you know, what we intended to, to represent or in just sort of, you know, in, in, in totally 
unintended ways is our color scheme sort of implicitly becoming, it becomes implicitly confusing because maybe it sort of, it translates to the reader in a way that we hadn't even um, it, you know, intended, right? Uh, and, and so, like, you know, that sort of back and forth is really, has been really helpful over the years, both in terms of sharpening our, like, our, not only our, our, you know, sort of like day-to-day, like this is how we should, uh, you know, present uh, these data, but also like thinking like more strategically and, and also to, you know, and just like, you know, how is this going to be consumed? How are these data going to be consumed? How are these numbers going? Are we going to get the message across that we're hoping to share with our audience so that they better understand, you know, why this particular poll number is important or, or uh, at this point in time, or, or, you know, why this story about the economy um, needs to be like at the front of our homepage. And, and yeah, so it's been really helpful. I, I think it's really cool that you're doing this experimentally, that, that you kind of are, are sort of probing the different options that you have for for exploring these these the information and and trying to to figure out if the consumers are are hearing what you hope hope might be conveyed by the message as as you think about some of the work that you've done and some of the studies that you've conducted is has there been something that sort of just jumped out as as a really surprising result something that that kind of ran counter to your your intuition i mean so that, so i'm just i'm always curious about the the unusual what what kind of really runs runs against what i expect I have two, and I'm curious what Laura's are. One of mine comes from the experimental studies, and that one was, it's widely assumed that nobody likes uncertainty. And one of the things that we found was that showing, visually showing confidence intervals or margin of error, right, which is full speak for a confidence interval, but showing it visually increases trust in the news organization and decreases trust in the precise number, the point estimate, which is great, actually. (laughs) That's exactly what you want. They trust you more. They trust the specific number less. Win-win. That was unexpected. The other one, and as a mixed methods researcher, I want to point to the focus group's more exploratory open-ended work, too, Something we were not looking for, we're not asking about, but that came out was red and blue are terrible contrast of colors in the sense that everyone thinks they're about politics, right? Because mm. in the U.S. it is so ingrained for the last, since the 2000 election, that red is Republican and blue is Democratic, that if you use red and blue contrastively for anything else, people assume there is a political subtext And that was something that just came out. We showed people figures about COVID and the vaccinations were one color and the deaths were another and they thought that was political. We showed them numbers about something else and it was rural and urban and they thought that was political. And it just, it came up spontaneously in so many different contexts that we went, maybe we should only use these colors for politics. And I, I, for one, was just surprised at how many times it came up independently with different groups of people. I, before you, you, you start the next response, I, I got to say, every, not, it's not fair to say nobody likes uncertainty, Jenna. You know, I, I, I always <laughs> viewed it as job security. I mean, for heaven's sake, let's, let's not go there. <laughs> right. But as a statistician, you also. <laughs> right, me too. I'm with you. 
Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I, I just want to um, echo what what Jenna was saying, and, and you know, I mean, I guess you know, thinking about data visualization and you know, just like the power of colors, you know, uh, and, you know, we had always kind of had like the the longstanding, you know, well, if you're talking about death avoid red you know that's kind of grim and not like a little, a little too macabre for for a bar chart but you know I, I, but um you know I, I felt like this was um this was a real great eye-opening um moment for us we we uh, we now um uh, generally steer steer uh clear of red and blue i mean it, like in part it was uh it, yeah there were all kinds of reasons why we had been doing it but uh just you know when we were presented with this evidence that it was ultimately counterproductive when put in front of our audience members we're like well of course we're going to do something else because that's that's the last thing we want to do is inadvertently confuse people and then they walk away you know, more sort of befuddled than they were before they sat in front of our chart. That's the last thing we want. So it was really helpful. Yeah. You're listening to Stats and Stories. And today we're talking about a research partnership between Knowledge and PBS NewsHour focused on quantitative literacy and the news. You highlighted something in this sort of discussion of like the colors uh, that I think is really interesting. But I wonder what are some other challenges that you have faced, uh, particularly you, Laura, as you're trying to figure out how to communicate you know, numerical information well, and maybe are there other things that have come out of this research partnership that have helped? Totally. I mean, you know, uh, earlier Jenna sort of touched on, um, you know, just sort of relaying uncertainty, right? Um, and, and, you know, and how, you know, having precise numbers, whether it's in the body of a story or the headline of a story, a caption, you know, how uh, certainly a, a data graphic, um, you know, can having precise, leaning too much on precise numbers can leave people with perhaps and ultimately uh, not totally correct understanding of what's going on. So I feel like, you know, that's that sort of broad, uh, like sort of truth has has definitely found a place in, you know, the way that we now think about headlines. Again, you know, if we're putting out uh, one of our polls that we do, uh, you know, <laughs> like pretty regularly, um, you know, when we're thinking about poll headlines, we're you know, we're not we're not putting an exact overall U.S. Uh, percent of U.S. adults who say they think X about the Supreme Court or whatever. We'll we'll like lean more on you know about half, roughly a third. Like having sort of hedging language because to you know because like you're not going to be able to say you know plus or minus three point five percentage points in a headline, but you can nod to that and you and then you know working with graphics that have those sort of shaded, uh, what we call them in-house, like a shaded bar chart, but it's sort of like, it, it visually depicts the margin of error above and below the percent for a given answer, um, it, it, you know, to, to sort of further support that understanding that this is our best estimate in the snapshot of of public opinion on these questions, right? So um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely helped us um, think more with greater statistical literacy, for sure, on you know when we're crafting headlines, because uh, those two are so important for reasons that may seem obvious, but you know I'll, I'll go ahead and state them. You know that's you know for many people that's the first and last time they may see that story. So we definitely want them to have an accurate understanding of what that story is about, and we don't want them to walk away and you know think like, well, seventeen percent of Americans think blah, and and you know that be the you know, alpha and omega of their understanding of whatever that issue is, because that that may be not altogether accurate, right? I'm reminded of something you said, Laura, maybe even in the kickoff meeting for the grant, where you said, and forgive me, I'm sure I'm misquoting you because it's been four years, but you said, (laughs) 
I want us to come out of this grant with everybody convinced that those 4,000 people are not interesting except in what they can tell us about everyone. And right. fundamentally, <laughs> the point <laughs> estimate only tells us about those 4,000 people. Who cares? Right. Right. <laughs> did, I, did I quote you okay? <laughs> that sounds about right. For, <laughs> me from four years ago thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's you were talking about just sort of this exposure. This story might be the only time they see this number. I I've often thought about that that when they're when people are taking a stat a, a stat class, it may be the only stat class they ever see. Absolutely. That that in some sense, you know, how how does someone build upon maybe their own ex their only exposure? And and from the perspective of of kind of exposition, you want to make sure there's a good base. But the importance of of journalism on building and expanding. On that seems like there, there's a role. So I, I, I see in what you're doing the stat literacy. You know, you've been involved with numeracy efforts. So you have to think about functional relationships if you want to talk about, you know, these these kind of uh, saving for retirement. You have to talk about, you know, magnitude if you're talking about parts per billion or trillion or billions and trillions of debt. So you have all of these challenges, the of these numeracy challenges of conveying this. I, I, I like you. You we had a. a I guess many, many episodes ago that talked about numbers as plot elements, which resonated with me. And, uh, and when you just said earlier, Laura, about the, the power of context, that, that seems like these are, these are two elements of, of putting, putting statistics in this supportive role for the this, this story that you tell. So uh, you know, I, I, I'm rambling here because my question's trying to percolate to the surface. <laughs> this is a... <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> But I, I, I find that, you know, you, you've got this guidebook now that you've put out. You're, try, you're now trying to communicate storytelling with numbers. What are some of the things that you hope, hope this guidebook will achieve? What's, what's sort of the purpose and role of this guidebook? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, one, one thing that I hope, I mean, we, we all, it is, it is a, a drum that has been beaten far too often, but still remains true, is that, you know, we hear that newsroom, we hear about newsrooms, we hear about quarterly layoffs, uh, you know, we hear about you know, like these, these places where, which are, you know, sort of their, their duty is to be the eyes and, and ears and just be the watchdogs for society. And they're being further and further depleted. Right. And, and yet they're tasked with, you know, again, being the watchdogs of society and, and their job is so incredibly important. And I, I feel like, you know, throughout the formation of this uh, of this guidebook, which we hope is is helpful for people. You know, just thinking about people who are uh, maybe they're the one reporter in their newsroom, maybe they're just starting out with their career and they're already overwhelmed. Um, you know, or or maybe they're you know just just trying to do their best in really complicated times. And you know, we're all human; we don't always get it right, but we we can try every day, right? Um, and in this guidebook, I feel um, is, is sort of like our best effort to, you know, either if someone finds themselves suddenly on a new beat that they've never reported on before, they're suddenly the healthcare reporter, the bit local econ business reporter, and, you know, probably wear five other hats. If they're suddenly plunged into doing that, like this um, guidebook, I feel is a great sort of foundational understanding of how to tell those kinds of stories, um, you know, and, and, and the important thing is so that they can then relay accurate, well-founded information to their audiences so that their broader audience, the broader public 
has a a a um, a solid understanding of what's going on and you know whether it's about climate whether it's about health again economy um you know if they're you know it's an election year what these polls mean who who's up ahead or what does this even mean is this significant um you know and so that's sort of um what i felt was um sort of like the um the overall marching order um for for this uh for this uh project Jenna, how did you get interested in studying this issue, particularly as it relates to news media? One of the through lines of my career has been questions of uncertainty and expertise and authority. And I'm a little bit of a weirdo in the sense that I am the rare person who mostly studies numbers qualitatively. (laughs) But I think that's really important. And one of the things that research has shown for a while is that getting back to sort of our earlier conversation about certainty, right? People tend to think that experts should be certain, even though experts actually hedge way more than people who know just enough to be dangerous. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So that's one piece of it that uh, for me has sort of informed this question. I've been for a really long time just interested in in how people become informed and and learn through media and sort of what media and news in particular can do to support that. And there's also a question here. I don't have hard data on this, but I would certainly say anecdotally from reading a lot of news through this project and to some extent from some of the landscaping work we did there's this ironic problem where the better you, the journalist, understand the statistics, the harder it is for you to explain it in the sense that you don't always realize what other people do and don't know at the point at which you're really an expert in something. I I see this a lot in kind of business and economic reporting where the problem is not at all the journalist's literacy. The journalists are extremely literate. But they're so literate that they've forgotten that not everyone knows how this thing is calculated, what it does and doesn't mean, what it actually is. Uh, Just the very fact that any and all official statistics are, by their very nature, estimates and they can't be perfectly precise. And they know that too well. And so there's a lot of hand wringing about like, oh, journalists can't do math. And I, I think that's wrong. I think, if anything, the problem is often that journalists are quite good at math, even if they think they're not. You're trying to kind of cram a lot of information into very little space. And there's a real temptation not to unpack it. I, you know, I, I, I love that you have this partnership with, with research and journalist, journalism. And I, and also I, I, I really appreciate this, the mixed method approach that you're taking there, just because you're exploring kind of the different dimensions with different different tools and techniques so I think I, I just want to say that's that's really cool and that's really awesome and it's something I you know we're, we're kind of uh, th- this strange partnership that we have in our studio is is something that reflects kind of this interest in trying find define these connections what's you know I, I guess w- one thing I would, I would be interested in is you know maybe Laura what's what's something that you've learned kind of from Jenna and and Jenna then then I'll we'll change it what what are some of the, the insights maybe that you've learned from from this collaboration with journalists sure I mean I feel like um, it, this this 
partnership has been a really wonderful reminder that it is okay to embrace the uncertainty of life. And boy, we really chose a moment for that that mantra <laughs> with a pandemic and everything. Um, so yeah, it was sort of a it was a very regular reminder that um, you know, it, it, and and I feel like just you know, um, not only embracing it, but being you know being transparent about that both internally in conversations with editors, you know, in, in through story pitches, but most importantly, you know, with our audience as well, um, so that they, you know, they understand this is, this is our best understanding of, of this moment, whatever it is that we're talking about. And these are the things that we don't know. This is what we can say at this point in time. And this, this is what remains shrouded in, in questions, right? And these are the ways that people are going about trying to answer those questions, right? Uh, you know, those are, I feel like the, the, that's such a powerful takeaway both as a as a reporter a storyteller but also thinking about how those stories come through to our audience and I feel they appreciate that that honesty that transparency the biggest thing that I've learned from working with Laura so much humility because I could never do what she does the speed at which they have to work Honestly, it's incredible what a good job journalists do. And one of, for me, the moments that was really eye-opening was Laura walking me through the timeline of an opinion poll where you could be drafting questions Monday morning. It's in the field Monday afternoon for 48 hours. You're pulling an all-nighter and it's live 9 a.m. Thursday. Oh, mercy. (laughs) (laughs) They get so much right under really incredible pressure, journalists in general, I mean to say, and I just have so much humility because I could never work at that speed and I really admire it. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you were both here. And before you leave, I'm looking at your reporting with numbers guide right now. And I, I teach a multimedia journalism class where we do some work with data. And I'm actually going to use this in my class in the fall. So I'm so thrilled that we had you on today because now I'm going to I'm going to be better prepped for my class in the fall. So thank you both for being here. You know, we're thinking of reporting with numbers as a living document. Yeah. We would love feedback, suggestions. If you are your students have thoughts about what is missing or what you would do differently, like reach out. We are super excited to hear from anyone. No, I'm so glad that you you brought that up because it, it absolutely, we don't want this to, you know, sort of uh, in any way uh, be, you know, sort of like an edict from on high because <laughs> right. no. Um, and I feel like it's it, these, the, you know, when we have, these sort of conversations like that is just so much more fruitful and, you know, potentially, hopefully impactful than, you know, just sort of like shoving a document off onto the internet and then walking away forever and pretending like, yeah, I don't feel like that's, that's helping people. I think, you know, the more we have these conversations around what, you know, sort of reporting techniques around statistical literacy and and, and numbers is, is working and perhaps even more meaningfully, you know, what's not working, right? And, and how can we address that together? What can we do better? Because, you know, we, again, we do see, you know, here poll after poll and so many focus groups, like some, you know, some of this confusion and, and, you know, how can, what can we do collectively to um, address, hopefully dispel that confusion and bring greater clarity around 
the numbers that are driving our world. Thank you so much for having us. That's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.